I'm good either way, man. I'm I'm all about non-scripted, and I just say it how it is. Welcome back to another episode of Raj Nation Innovations Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka the Raj Nation. I am your show's host. I'm also the founder of Raj Nation Innovation, a hip hop artist, and a yoga instructor. Above all else, I am a storyteller. And I am joined by my co host, Victoria Cohen. Victoria is the voice behind the blog, almondsandasana.com. She's also a yoga instructor and community activist focused on helping you make positive lifestyle choices to impact you and the people you serve. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. It's real talk with real people doing real big things to show you the real side of success. In this episode, we sit down with Tim Wales. Tim is the co-founder and CEO of Kadima Ventures, an entrepreneurial resource to help, well, entrepreneurs grow themselves and their businesses. And in this conversation, we talk about the inevitable cloud that hangs over every entrepreneur, and that is failure. But knowing that failure is probably necessary and on the horizon, What can we do to prepare for it? So our question today is, how do you prepare for failure? Before we dive into our conversation, I want to extend an invitation if you're not a member already. Join our tribe by going to discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Enter your email address there and you'll get an email in your inbox every single Monday so you will never miss another episode of this show. You also get my stories and tips throughout the week on how to tell your startup story. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with Tim Wales of Kadima Ventures. How do you prepare for failure? Let's listen in. You know, failure is something that we're all going to face, especially if you're an entrepreneur. Um, one way we, we are constantly looking at failure is in, in a little a little piece that I like to share with people when they fail like they failed is that's your experience. Failure is experience. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs will, will quit being entrepreneurs for the simple fact that they had a failure here or there. Um, but inevitably what's what's happening is they've just put obstacles in their way and they didn't find a way to look at those obstacles as just illusions and how do you get around those illusions uh you know your show and and this is about innovation right well if you're really creating something that's different that's never been done before how can you fail how can you truly fail um you know when you're creating something from nothing and you're you're not copying somebody else um, there's going to be those moments where it just doesn't seem right. And I think that's where being very agile as an entrepreneur, having creative people around you to take whatever that fail point is and then evolve it, or, or as I, I mentioned earlier, being agile. Um, entrepreneurism as a whole, if, if you look at the grand scheme of things, at, at what we've turned it into from the venture, venture capitalists to the way angel investors interact with startups, 
um, they've created things where it's become mechanical and, and we've actually lost touch with entrepreneurism where we force entrepreneurs to hurry up, build as fast as you can. Build, 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 build. Here's here's a little bit of money. You're gonna they're gonna take some equity and and you need to get that product to market generating revenue as fast as possible. Well, that causes a whole ripple effect and an accordion effect of of inevitable failures because you're being rushed and you lose that creativity because now you're driven by money. You're not driven by entrepreneurism and innovation. So that's just you know kind of some of my failings around failure. Um, every startup goes through it and um, every failure that I have, I don't actually look at it as failure. I get to talk and interact and help a lot of entrepreneurs. It's what I've dedicated my life to. And, you know, as, as they, you know, a lot of them will open up and I'll say, so what's your experience? They said, well, you know, I failed, you know, two or three times here. And I, my response to them is, did you really fail? What did you learn from it? And when they start to peel back the layers of what they learned, from that experience and that time in their life is they fail to realize that they gained experience. And then because they're ignoring that and they're just on to the new thing, they don't look at what in their mind they failed before and put it into practical application into their new ventures as, a, as an entrepreneur on the next big thing. Um, and you know, I, I believe it's very, very important to not look at things as failures because they get in your head. I mean, I battled with it. Um, our story is, is, is really kind of fascinating with my first kind of big exit and really how it played out and, and it'll baffle most minds when I, when I tell the story, but the, you know, I've never looked at it as a failure, um, even though it was a success, but there was a lot of little pieces that just didn't go the way I envisioned it as an entrepreneur. They didn't go my way. Right. Um, that doesn't mean it's a failure. Somebody else looked at it as a success. Um, and then now I'm able to take that, those experiences that would be deemed as failures and put them into practical application, working with entrepreneurs, working on fixing challenges, like, like the challenges of uh, the fact that very little money goes to early stage funding for companies. Investors have, have got accustomed because of the fear of failure, right? Entrepreneurs will tell, I mean, investors will tell you, you know, failure is important for experience, but yet they'll also judge you for your failures and not invest in you because they don't believe in you because you have had failures. So, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's counterproductive when an investor is going to tell an entrepreneur, well, nah, that guy probably hasn't had success. Why am I going to invest in him? Let me go invest in the guy I've already invested in because he had had success one time. And then they do it again. They do it five, six times with that same person, giving them a ton of money, which stops that entrepreneur that might have something that's just revolutionary from ever taking, taking off. And, and then it really starts to get into the entrepreneurial mindset, right? We're all afraid of failing and we, we use it as a crutch. I, I tell a team, and I mentioned it earlier, look at, look at the fear of failure as just obstacles, uh, obstacles in your way. And those obstacles are just illusions. Find a way to go through them, get past them and move forward. Kadima means in Hebrew, forward. And, and that's what's important to us. We want to drive things forward. We don't want to let the fears of failure hang us up and knock us down. It's funny you mentioned the, the, the Hebrew meaning because before we started, Victoria was like, what, what, where did they get the name from? And it's fun, like, you know, we met at this point a month ago at the fund conference. And one of the things that stuck, that stuck with me was like, I think the first thing I told Victoria was, 
So Kadima means forward in Hebrew. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, the brand recognition there is working. So there, okay. So there's a few things you mentioned that I want to attack here, and also I, part of what you said, I I think I have a differing opinion slash bone to pick with. So this will be fun. Um, mm-hmm. Let's first start with uh, you mentioned when you tell people the story of your uh, first exit, your first company. Uh, they kind of can't believe it. Can you let our listeners know? and us know the story of of your first exit? Yeah, I mean, I can give the, the backstory. I'll, I'll give a revised version here. I knew I was, um, my, my wife and, and business partner of many years was working on an executive level at American Express. I was going in and consulting, building a sales team for a telematics, uh, kind of telematics fleet management company before um, smart devices really exist. It was really called machine to machine back then. It wasn't called, you know, IoT. It's evolved. So I was there kind of in the pioneer of, of machine to machine communications. And, you know, I, I invested some money into the company and then I was building out their sales channel and they wanted to go public. And long story short, as I did my due diligence as somebody that really has no business investing, I just had money from working hard in my life and I wanted to help them succeed. I realized they didn't own any product. Um, as a matter of fact, they were renting their software. And I said, well, I built software and, and I enjoy doing that. And I jumped in and I had my wife. She left her, her corporate job and we started building the software for this company in return that they were going to be honest and truthful and they were going to do everything they said they were going to do. And the reality was we put money in and they never lived up to their end of the bargain. And here we are, we were building software for them that we were going to hand them in a licensing model before licensing was really even a, a big deal. We were still on software, you know, 10 plus years ago. Um, and I remember flying back from meeting with a company in Texas, Rent-A-Center, and I, I got off the plane and I said, man, we just basically pretended we were a company that we're not, and we built and designed the product. And why are we doing that when this big company is interested in it? Why are we just giving it to them when they haven't paid us? They owed us well over a million dollars. I mean, it was, it was just an insane story. So anyways, that's how I got into the business in the first place. So long story short on that piece, we got off that plane and said, you know what? They don't have an NDA with us. They don't have anything. They're not paying. We don't care about their stock. They, they got into a bunch of trouble. Let's just go into business for ourselves. So bam, all of a sudden I'm in business for myself in a fleet management space where I really wasn't the expert. I was just building software and helping them succeed. And and that company was such a weird journey because we had so many up and ups and downs. Within the first six months of building the product, um, we had multiple offers to buy the product and we didn't even have a sales channel. We didn't even know what our roadmap looks like. It was simply because we looked at building a product from an end user's perspective and, and taking on the challenges. And now I'm an entrepreneur. You want to talk about failure. I'm working with a company in Kansas that says, we want to buy you. We want to absorb you guys and, and, you know, please put together an offer. We'll pay for it. And holy cow, I, I just went into business myself six months ago I built a software that this big company in Kansas wants to buy. And, you know, mistake number one, I, I negotiated it. I didn't go and find the resources I need. Um, so, you know, you're talking about a fail point. I, I, Stacy and I, as, a, as the co-founder of the company, she was the CEO, put together a plan by doing research and digging in and, and reading books and, and scouring the internet on how to sell a company. And we structured it ourselves. And it got to the point where, um, our lack of knowledge uh, stopped us from being able to sell the company at such a fast point because, you know, the price tag we put on it wasn't really 
backed properly. We didn't know how to properly articulate why we're asking this price. Their counter offer was, you know, you know, it started at $8 million. So think about that. It's never even generated revenue and they're offering us $8 million. That's the number they threw out that they'd be willing to go. So we said, okay, we put a plan to sell the company for $8 million, whatever it was, give or take uh, together. And what it turned into is they wanted us to work for them. Four million of it would have been in stock in their ESOP company. Now I, I, as an entrepreneur, felt like I was going back to my corporate world where I finally broke free to be the entrepreneur I wanted to be. And now I've got to go work for these guys. And now I'm a slave to their system and their culture that I can't be the leader I want to be and build the culture I want to be. Um, and on top of that, I don't really want their stock. I was happy with, you know, the cash and and helping them for a year and stepping away. Well, what's even crazier is at the same time, Sprint caught wind of what we were doing through the grapevine and Sprint said, well, we're interested in buying you. As a matter of fact, we want to roll your platform out and we want you guys. Part of the deal is we're going to acquire you, but you guys have to put a training program in place and train every single commercial sales rep in Sprint because the technology was so different than anything they've seen. And Talking about fail point, no idea how to negotiate that deal. And mistake number two, I didn't go out and seek those resources because I was such new. I was so new to entrepreneurs and we were just do get it done and keep building and, and building a great business. And we grew 200% minimum year after year after year. But I mean, in less than a year, I had Sprint and a company out of Kansas trying to purchase the technology that we didn't even know how we were going to make a dollar. I mean, we created our performance. We didn't really even earn a dollar yet. And then it, it, and it progressed to all these ups and downs. I, I really needed a CFO. So we grew to a point that I needed a CFO and I hired a good friend who was a CFO and, and he embezzled a half a million dollars from us. Not only did he embezzle a half a million dollars from us, he was cooking books. He brought in a friend who was an accredited investor, signed that he was an accredited investor when we didn't even need the investment, okay? We only needed the investment is because somebody was milking money from our company right under our own eyes so when you talk about failures i've had failures that you can imagine so then we handle that now we have to pay a cfo to come in and, and where we thought he took a little bit of money it turns into the damages of a half a million he brought on a loan for example the loan ended up putting a ucc one on the company where you know i'm learning entrepreneurs in the hard way and if you don't know what a ucc one is it's basically the ability that they have first right on your assets if you do fail right we're talking about failure and uh, and we paid that bill religiously we paid it so much that when he embezzled guess what we paid our employees before we paid for our own home and this is during the this is during the housing crash right so we lost our home at the same time as losing our home because somebody embezzled i hired an outdoor sales company to put 100 sales reps out there on the road and that sales company was putting the work on us as the new company to build out the sales team. They weren't doing their job. They weren't, we'd pay them commissions and they wouldn't pay the people. They had high turnover because they didn't really care. They were just rotating salespeople as an outsourced company. So there's another challenge, okay? Um, then you shift into um, the next part of the story here where you've got the salespeople. Well, Stacy and I wanted kids. We're getting older in our life. And, and Stacy ended up becoming pregnant with twins. And Stacy had a lot of medical challenges. She would wake up in the middle of the night. And I remember, we're the two key people building a company that's growing faster. And we even know how to handle. We've never done this really before. And, and, and Stacy was a key component on the operations side and leading it and the structure and the organization. I'm the entrepreneur of mine. I'm the vision. I'm driving 
the creativity and the vision where she's making the vision come to life. And now you lose her to be bedridden, right? At like 18 weeks into a pregnancy to save our children. So now I'm by myself with about four or five employees and I'm dealing with a pregnant wife that's on bed rest at home and, and, and God bless her. She kept working where it gets to, I, you know, I forget, I think about 28 weeks or something like that. And it's so bad, the bleeding and everything that she gets hospitalized. At that same time she's hospitalized, I'm in the process of dealing with my first patent troll. This has been just two years of running a business. And, and if you've never been hit with a patent troll and you don't know what a patent troll is an entrepreneur, go study it a little bit, okay? And the cool thing is, is as painful as it is, when you see your name on a lawsuit because you're becoming successful and you've got somebody that all they do is go and buy patents and make money off of corporations going and suing the higher companies, they'll sue 20, 30 of them and say, hey, we're gonna take you to court if you just don't pay our license fees. Well, those corporations and these patent trolls know that there's X amount of money that a big corporation is gonna pay to keep it out of the legal system it's easier to pay it than deal with the headache well guess what that does to the ripple effect that funds their process and then they go down to the middle tier companies and then they get down to the little company but what was crazy is when i got attacked by my first patent troll i was being classified with companies like orbcom sprint massive massive organizations and here i am as this little guy not even know what's hitting me and I have no way to protect myself. And they're demanding, basically extorting money from me. Well, you know what I did? I, I stood up and I fought them and I said, bring me to court, let's do it. And you know what? They dropped the case because I proved that we were just a little company with not a lot of revenue and we're growing and, and they left me alone. And uh, then the story progresses where, where you know, we, we, we had every big client you can imagine. We had deals that were $20 million deals. We did the RFP process. And every time we would get on the brink of major success, something would impact us. If it was the embezzlement, we didn't let that embezzlement bring us down, okay? We instead took it and when we would sit in front of another investor or something or a corporate partner, we'd be honest with them. We'd say, hey, here's the scenario. And, and it's interesting because some people will not want to work with you because they think you're irresponsible because you let it happen. They blame you. Well, are you kidding me? We're just trying to innovate and, and, and drive business here. And when somebody is the professional at hiding things, you know, you should be happy that we found it within four or five months. And oh, yeah, by the way, Mr. Investor, we lost our house. We had to fire the sales company because they weren't doing their job we were doing all the work that sales company at the same time came back because they saw we were having success and tried to take us to arbitration so i've been through arbitration and we had so much evidence because we did such well documentation from our corporate lives um and that's where stacy comes in and, and and the amazing team i had had so much organization that we overwhelmed the arbitration system where this company was just clearly in the wrong but it still cost me 60,000 plus dollars to just protect our integrity, who we are, and what entrepreneurism is, right? What we're creating our company. So now we go to the next phase. Now we're just stuck in this company and um, we had amazing ups and downs. You know, I, I, I was under strict NDA, but I got to work with Google on their first ever them releasing Google commercial maps where I got to fly out in a private meeting. I got to work with Google self-driving car before anybody knew it. And it was only because we were creating and we were always open and honest. But we always struggled with, you know, really winning that big fish. You take Google, for example, I can't talk about the exact details, but I got a whopping 
10 grand from Google for something that they're probably still using today. Well, that's immaturity. That's lack of experience, right? I could have been probably creating a res residual income for, for a long time if I, if I did it properly. Well, as we evolve, um, I started to get really engaged with alternative energies and alternative fuels, and especially when it comes around vehicles, because our, our software was around telematics. And um, I met a guy out of the out of Texas that pursued us. He wanted to put our product in his, his long haul trucking company. And I got to know him a little bit. He said, yeah, this is a great idea. I think the problem and, and what he was doing, what he was really trying to do is he was trying to inject uh, liquid natural gas into you know big trucks, big rigs, natural gas. And it's basically a supplement to dual fuel to diesel. And he's doing it and the mechanics are working. At least the illusion that it's working is there. And we got involved and, and um, we said, well, nobody's going to adopt this, number one, because there's no infrastructure, okay, to support a, a truck driver going to fuel up on liquid natural gas. And, and, you know, his response was, well, we're working on that with a guy by the name of T. Boone Pickens in clean energy and we can solve that problem. I said, great. So the next big problem is trust. The drivers aren't going to trust a different type of fuel system. They, they make their money by miles, right? They don't want to stop for fuel stop. So we immediately started solving problems on what he was trying to accomplish with this dual fuel system. Where, well, what that turned into um, is he wanted to end up acquiring us. He wanted to buy us. And I said, man, we've just been stuck in this company. We've had all these crazy roller coaster ups and downs and life changes. And, and you know, we lost our home. We were in debt and we bounced out of it. You know, and I'm not giving you every detail, but it's that baffling. Um, we got to a point where he's going to buy us. So his best friend and business partner was an attorney. So he had in-house attorneys. I didn't, and I was struggling for money at the time because I was still recovering from the accordion effect of, of that CFO brought in a loan that told us it was like 14%, and that's how he pitched it to us, but it ended up being like 29%, and it was draining our cash flow, and if we didn't pay that bill, they take our asset. Well, our only asset is our software, and, and that means we lose everything. They get access to our residual if we don't pay that bill. So what do you do? Do you, do you pay your employees? Do you pay that bill? Do you pay for your home? especially when somebody just does it for you so the long story short the cfo put a whole recourse of of a bad investor in there a bad piece of debt on the company that locked down assets and that's what happens you know that's a lesson learned that i'm very cautious when it comes to the cfo on the financial side um so the guy's about to buy our company now he wants the software because what we did is we, we went and immediately designed it just the way because kadima does it now so we were doing it way back then and, and it's working we went and designed and said hey if you created a platform that looks at the actual analytics and how much liquid natural gas is being pumped in the vehicle, how much less diesel you're using, how many more miles you get, and you start to put it in a user-friendly format, and you and then you build trust with the drivers, and you and you start to quantify that in the trucking industry. If you save one cent per mile, you're a god. Well, we were saving twelve to fourteen cents per mile, so we had a whole different challenge with this company. Okay. You know, where now it's almost unbelievable. But point being is now the guy and his attorney friend are doing due diligence on us. Really awkward situation. Part of the due diligence, and, and this, is, this is a little hint for entrepreneurs, okay? When they're doing due diligence, if they sign an NDA and, and non-disclosures, non-competes, the rule is, I'm not saying what they did was bad business, but the rule is you're going to uncover things on a company 
that gives you the upper hand when you're doing the due diligence. So one of the things they discovered was the company was kind of stable. We had an amazing product. There was a lot of traction. We could have probably went and pursued somebody else to buy us. We were too busy just building the business and surviving that they discovered that there was that weird debt, that really expensive debt I told you about that had a UCC one. So when they placed the offer to buy the company, they signed. The due diligence was done. Bam, we sold the company. We took equity in the new companies to the alternative fuels. We're, we're going to work. We, we then went to a convention in California. Stacy and myself bump into a guy that is, is kind of the, the predecessor for T. Boone Pickens, a major oil tycoon who happens to be huge in liquid natural gas. They fall in love with us. Long story short, I said, hey, he's on my bucket list to meet. The guy says, hey, come out in a week. You can meet T. Boone Pickens. We'll go to lunch and we'll hang out with him. Well, we helped those guys that were buying us. And by the way, they signed. They had signed about two months before to buy our company. Um, and I, I won't get into the numbers, but they weren't paying us. So our investors that we had are getting mad because they all signed off that we sold the company. And, and our investors are starting to think, hey, Tim and Stacy ran away with the money. We're like, oh my God, all we're doing is the right thing. Because the guy, what we found out is is they lied. They didn't have the money to pay what they offered for the company, but they wanted to lock it up legally so they could take the company. Well, we helped them bring in t Boone in a unique deal. Then we helped them bring in one of the largest logistics company in the country out of Michigan that we're still very close friends with today. And, and because we put structure, we took an entrepreneurial approach, we put performance in place because we did it in our company. We had all this structure. We made this trucking company and this guy with this idea <laughs> look like a god. I mean, we did everything. We did all the work and they took the credit for it. Um, and, and long story short, they weren't paying us. And we, we, we knew how to secure ourselves legally. So, you know, Stacy got attached to the operating agreement, you know, to the, to the corporation as a managing partner. Therefore, the guy in Texas that was buying us can't do anything illegally. He has to go through us as a managing partner. There's two managing partners. They have to make the ultimate, you know, business decisions at the top level here, um, especially if there's stalemates and board, things like that. And what, what this guy ended up doing is we ended up finding out that it, as we peeled back layers, we started exposing him on things. He started to solicit my wife and I actually for sex and demanding that he would crush us if we say anything. He threatened my family. He's an avid gun collector. He threatened to kill my children if I expose him on certain things. We pointed out in a board meeting with these very powerful people that the CEO and his, and, and his attorney friend are taking money. Well, you know what they did instead of paying us? They went behind our back and negotiated with the loan company, okay, with the loan company to buy the UCC1. Therefore, they got our assets because that loan company, we only had $18,000 left on like a you know $100,000 loan. We had fought through it for years, the ups and downs, we made the payment. And these guys were able to say, hey, behind our back, because they learned about it in the due diligence process, they learned the UCC one was there because they had a legal guy and staff and their scumbag. They went behind our back and instead of fulfilling their commitment to buy the company, they bought the assets, showed up at our, they sent somebody else, the CFO that we gave them from, from uh, Michigan to our office and said, hey guys, let's, let's plan on moving forward. And a guy comes into our office and says, so now that we're going to sign the documents to foreclose on the asset, do you know what our faces were like when somebody shows up? And that guy, who we're still good friends with today, didn't know that we weren't on board 
and didn't know as the managing members of the company that they went and foreclosed on those on that loan. I mean, that, that they bought that loan. Therefore, it allowed them to not pay us our exit money because they got the assets that they wanted. But it gets worse, okay? It gets worse. I went against my own instinct and I said, all right, to my wife, let's, let's just deal with it, okay? Let's deal with it. We still own equity in their company. You're still a managing partner. And we're just devastating now. We're, we lost something that we poured our life savings into, our heart, our determination, all these ups and downs. Um, but in essence, it was, it was more of a burden. Now that we looked at it, it was a crutch that we couldn't get rid of. Um, and uh, we went to work. We kept helping them. We kept helping them build the business. I started helping their trucking company. I created recruiting systems. I mean, literally, we were doing everything for them. But as we kept exposing their corruption, we got fed up. And we, we had a board meeting. We forced a board meeting. We got everybody together, including the very wealthy. Two billionaires were involved with this that we brought. And um, we sat in the board meeting. And, and basically, Stacey and I exposed their corruption. So what did they do? They did all these types of things to illegally create documents in the Texas legal system to secretly try and take over and kick us out of the company. Completely illegal. It's illegal to this day. It's still actually going on to this day. And what's cool is we, we're, we're right now the prevailing party because they've been, you don't, you don't screw billionaires over and think you're going to get away with it. Okay. Um, they, they, they showed up. I was, we were moving offices and this is right before Kadima started. We were moving offices and, um, my employees come to me and say, hey, man, there's a weird guy out there. He's in the parking lot. He's taking pictures of us. He's following us around. He's making us feel uncomfortable. And my, my response to the employees are, well, hey, did you, did you approach him? And they said, yes, we did. He said he's looking for the bank. I said, well, did you show him where the bank was? Yeah, I pointed over there. I said, well, did he go over to the bank? And they said, no. I said, well, why don't you walk him over to the bank? And what I was doing is I was setting the guy up because this bank was a closed business bank that you had to have authorization to get in there. You can't you have to ring a doorbell. So I, wanted, I asked the employee, I said, hey, go walk him over there and see if he tries to walk in the bank because now we'll, 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 we'll blow his cover. Well, sure enough, the guy wasn't there for the bank. He was, so I, I get brought in and I start following the guy around and I, I, we start walking a few blocks. I mean, I'm literally in sweatpants and a t-shirt. Okay. And I'm following the guy and I'm keeping my distance from him. And I'm like, who are you with? Are you with the guys from Texas that are basically wrecked my life? Who are you? And I'm recording it. And I said, I'll walk all day because I want to know why you're here. And the guy's just taking this really weird, weird stroll behind buildings and stuff. And it was just really odd. And all of a sudden we get about two blocks away and a truck comes squealing around the corner and out pops the guy that screwed us over that was supposed to buy our company reaches in and pulls a gun on me. Not only did he pull a gun on me, he had, I, I, I said, do it. You know, I was a Marine. I don't have fear. I said, you know, don't get close. You know, I said, do it. My brother-in-law happened to be pulling up because he worked for us at the time and he stopped and he saw it. So they, they got in the truck and they fled off. I went back to my office and I called 911 and, um, and the police come, and then here comes the truck pulling in. And the guy pulls in, and he says, look, I've got these legal documents, uh, you know, that, I, that, that the board has approved to remove Stacey Wales as managing partner, and we're seizing all assets of the company, and we're taking it over, and we're removing them. Well, that's illegal, okay? That's not, they can't do that. They can't make a unilaterally decision based on a non-popular vote. But because it's in Texas, they're able to fudge the system.
And they were basically pushing people out illegally just to gain access to money, control, and anybody that, you know, was basically showing their corruption, they were going to destroy. So when the police get there, I said, listen, he didn't completely pull the gun out, but look, he carries a gun on him. I saw it. He threatened to shoot me. He got out of the vehicle and, and the police immediately go into action. Well, he had his wife. He had an engineer from Michigan that has nothing to do with anything. They hired the engineer and put him in such an awkward situation. And they had another gentleman, the guy that was walking. Do you know when the police got them out of the vehicle, they asked, do you have any weapons on you? Well, he ditched his weapon. It was in his middle console. They asked his wife, do you have any weapons? Because they're taking him out at gunpoint in our business parking lot. When they get out there, the wife walks up to the police officer. They reach in her pocket and she has a 38 special load. Never mind that. Okay, now they're cuffing her because she didn't, you know, didn't have, uh, you know, because she didn't acknowledge that she had a weapon. They had a fully loaded AR-15 in the vehicle. Illegal, you know, illegal business documents trying to illegally take over all of our assets and, and kick us out of our own company that we built and their company that they built illegally. And what's crazy is, yeah, they they got cuffed, but you know, we tried to go get a restraining order. They drained all of our money, our livelihood. We had nothing. We were at the bottom. Here we are supposed to have this massive, beautiful exit. We worked so hard and we were going to help somebody else be successful. We're meeting these amazing people. And here we are getting screwed over again. We tried to get, literally tried to get a, uh, a protection order, right? A restraining order against them because they were from out of town. Um, and, you know, we lost, we didn't even win to get protection for our family because the system, the way they had us process the documents, it should have been me filing the restraining order instead of Stacy. Um, and and, and where, where we went to go do it ourselves, it was both of us. So you're talking about lessons learned. But, you know, we never burnt bridges. And we always kept figuring it out. We still haven't been paid to this day. There's legal action that has even still created a recourse where there's an investor still to this day that thinks we ran with the big exit money and didn't pay anybody when the, re when the reality is that's not the fact. The fact is our lives were threatened. We've been through so many ups and downs and that, you know, that's just kind of a summary story. So, you know, that's how Kadima was born. I said, I'm done with this. I'm going to go and study what the real challenges is with our entrepreneurs and challenges with early stage investing challenges, why incubators and accelerators are failing and what money we did have. I started creating consulting gigs. We started earning more money. I said, let's build this next company with everything we learned, all the hell we went through and let's not make any of those mistakes. Let's not have those failures. Let's go and actually contribute our lives to solving the entrepreneurial problems that we see out there. And from there on out, I locked myself up where I, I told my family this is going to be hard. I had twins. I had, I had young kids. God bless them. What I didn't mention, too, is when Stacey was hospitalized, my kids also had to come out early, and they were in the intensive care unit. So imagine running a company with legal challenges, money. You don't have any other resources. Your key person's down and out on medical, and now you have to go and visit your, your kids that you fought to keep. My daughter Man, the hospital system came up to me when they pulled her out and said, she's so white, she needs a blood transfusion right now. We can't give her that blood transfusion unless you sign these damn documents. There was over 40 documents I was supposed to do. I said, you're telling me she needs a blood transfusion and unless I sign these documents, you're not going to give it? All for money? And this is all the same time. So, yeah, I understand failure. 
but I've never let it bring me down. And, you know, I went out and I locked myself. I told my family, guys, it's going to be hard. Myself and the other co-founder and intellect locked ourselves in a house. I would go out during the day and I would pay people to help us fix startups and identify what their challenges We'd go and meet investors and we'd just interview them. We wouldn't ask them for money. We'd go to VCs. We'd just barge in and we'd find a way in with no personal gain, all to create a system and a process to help entrepreneurs. And that's where we are today. So kind of long-winded, but there you go. There's a, there's a high level of the ups and downs I've been through. Tim, that is like the craziest story you've ever heard. I think you win. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, I mean, there, there were losses in there, but like, I don't think I've... I've read Just Phil Knight's book. story you win. The founder of Nike. I have read his autobiography, his memoir. And I thought he had the craziest entrepreneurial stories I've ever heard. I think you now take the crown. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but some of those twists and well, turns in that, I cannot believe... You know, what's so frustrating is, I mean, you know, that same time in the first six months, you know, somebody would catch wind of us or I, I was a big networker. So I would always go out and I have a mantra, don't burn bridges, right? Just be as honest as you can, do the best you can. If, if something isn't right, fix it or find a different way to do it. And I, I found myself all of a sudden within that six month period, that first six month period I was telling you about, I found myself and Stacy in, in front of a VC here in Arizona. I don't know how to talk to a venture capitalist. But you know, it was amazing. You know what I gained from it? I didn't get an investment, but I left that VC meeting where they didn't know how to say no. They also didn't know how to identify or gauge what we were really building. Um, so, you know, it gets back to, you know, make sure you pick the right investor that you go to. But I didn't ask for the VC. They came to me. And that's happened throughout my entire life. We, I, I've, I've been so blessed. They wouldn't have met T. Boone Pickens if it wasn't for me, that group that was buying us. It, it, not me, but, you know, us as a whole. And and the, the, the openness that I have to always be meeting new people. It's like, Raj, I met you at Funding Post, right? Mm -hmm. I, I met you at an event. I didn't know you from the hole in the wall. I'll tell you, I watched people. I sit in the back of the room and I, 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 I gave you my feedback on, on your presentation. That's all open, honest feedback. You could take it or leave it. It's just based on my experience and what I saw. I had two employees because I had multiple people there walk up and said, oh, I don't know what this guy is. You know, they brought rap in. I'm not into rap. I'm more of a country guy. And I said, well, give him a chance. And I, I, I said to one of the employees, I said, see that? Because we're mentoring him. He's in a mentoring program. I said, See that over there? My partner, Stacy. I guarantee you she's going to walk up to the end and she's going to be interested in Raj because he's doing something different. Might not be perfect, but he's doing something different from the same mundane BS of pitch events and what we typically see. And I bet you, I bet you we're going to interact with him at some point. And what happened? We're on this podcast and now. Amen. <laughs> Because we're open to look at the different ways of doing things. That's entrepreneurism. And and that's how we're dedicated, you know, and I've dedicated my life to it and, and finding ways to fix it, to driving technologies forward and innovation. Uh, you know, one of the things I'm most blessed about it, and, uh, you know, I just told you, you know, before we started this podcast, I was on such an amazing call with somebody, is I can have these intellectual conversations with some of the smartest people in the world. And I get to work with these extremely smart people. And you know what? If they understood these really, really smart, these intellects, right? If they understood how the entrepreneurial world works on how to put a front-end business on something, not talk too technical, if they, as Raj would say, knew how to tell their story, we'll have more investment in early-stage innovation. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth. So coming back to, I think, 
some of my insights I drew out of the story you told around your sort of the ups and downs of your first venture. And, and, and I'll, side note, I will say, you can't get a better name for the natural gas or oil industry than T. Boone Pickens. <laughs> it's like, it's like J- J.D. Rockefeller and T. Boone Pickens, the, the original tycoons. <laughs> well, well, you know, and, and, and that story gets so much deeper. It's like we met him. We, we were at the bar because the people that we were working with, the guys from Texas, they're not the social butterflies. They don't understand what it's like to build something from nothing to something. They knew the trucking industry, right? And and I didn't know they were scumbags because there's more to it. The technology that they were using, they ended up stealing from somebody else where they were pointing at that was there. And this is all the stuff that we uncovered. Yeah. And, and that's why our lives were threatened. I mean, still to this day, we had to move. We had to pick up and move from a house we were leasing because we already had lost our home just because they were threatening our lives. But I, if I and Stacy didn't start talking to a gentleman at the bar and Stacy knows when she started the initial conversation and said, oh my God, Tim loves Chibu. And she introduced me to him. And if we didn't have a conversation and if I didn't say, hey, what an amazing man, I would love to just have lunch and pick his brain someday. And that led to meeting him to the point where his group Clean Energy and Peter Brace, who's his son-in-law, were, were giving the company that we helped bridge that gap unlimited money to go and buy trucking companies. Do you know why they were giving us that money to buy trucking companies? So we can force the natural gas system into the cars. And, and Tibun, you know, we were able to even identify problems with Tibun's infrastructure. He built all these clean energy fuel, fuel stations all over the country, and some of them never even seen fuel. So you're talking about trying to get mass adoption, and there's range anxiety. There's all these different challenges that these big corporations or, or shallow-minded non-entrepreneurial people don't think about. You know, one of the things that we brought up early on in that whole scenario was do you really think truck drivers are going to want to stop for diesel and then go over to a different station and fuel up for liquid natural gas when they only make money when there's miles being put on the truck? And and and, and that sounds so uh, common sense, right? But it's not to them on the other side because they can't see past it. They don't have that mont- that entrepreneurial mindset. And that's the value of what, what Kadima Ventures is and what we're doing. I think so when we look at kind of that over again that overall narrative my one of my key insights I drew out of that was it sounds like a lot of the repeated mistakes came from I think as you said it was uh, you said lack of knowledge held us back we tried to do it ourselves and I think that's something that many entrepreneurs deal with myself included is the and this you know we talked in our previous episode with rj pahura about scaling knowledge which was around the whole topic of getting out of your own head and relying on other people but i think that's one of the biggest things that creates failure is the belief that you can and you should do everything yourself and i think a lot of that is is ego driven yeah and and i know in my own journey it's been uh like when I look at like the last like probably seven years, I kind of feel like every day or every week is just like a fight to get a little bit more in control of my own ego and 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 not defeat my ego or crush it, but like understand that I shouldn't be making decisions from the place of ego. I should be making decisions from the place of what's best for business. So I have, um, I don't know, sort of a thought or question to throw out there. So uh, just really quick background on me. I left uh, my 
job in um, corporate. I worked for Pepsi for five years, um, a little over a year ago, and I, I teach yoga. I have a blog that I'm um, building a you know sort of brand and and um, and business around. And it's really weird because I I'm scared of failure every single day. But it's kind of like what you said at the very beginning, Tim, that like some people see what you went through, all those crazy things as like ultimately a success. Um, Whereas like, you know, you may have seen all the little pieces as failures. And I think what I'm trying to wrap my head around as, you know, this first situation where I'm kind of going off and doing my own thing is like, what is a success or a failure in what I'm doing? Right. So like, is it a success if I make money? Is it a success if I'm well known? Is it a success if I just literally produce content every day? Like what's a success and what's a failure? Um, And that's something that I know as, you know, again, in sort of my first iteration of being on my own and, and creating something from scratch that like, I just don't even know yet what my success or failure, what I'm, how I'm defining that. You know, have, have you gone through that process, Raj? I, yeah. And well, I, I actually think that's part of the downfall of my last business mm-hmm. idea, Lemon, was not having between my co-founder and I, not having between each other, but then I think also internally in my own head, what does success look like ultimately? Yeah. Because if you can't define that, it makes, right? Because everything's going to be a trickle down from the ultimate goal. And if you don't know what the ultimate goal is, you leave yourself well, open to making any type of decision at any given moment. Go ahead, yeah. Tim. Yeah, let me give, let me give you this insight. Okay, you know, getting back to you know the the original question here that you threw at Raj. I mean, if you can wake up every day and say, "Man, I'm one step closer to what my vision is," and you're not deviating from what that vision is, but you're open and accepting other people's feedback on what that vision is, and that's when you kind of plug in the word ego, right? Ego is something we talk about constantly here. Number one, I was a U.S. Marine. Okay, I was very, very blessed at what my Marine Corps career was. And it it made me the leader I am today, where I'm so blessed that people want to follow me. They want to interact with me. And it's overwhelming at times to the point where I break down in tears because you're supposed to be that rock. Okay, and our ego and ego will destroy you. Now, now. To, to kind of bring it full circle for you both, here's some insight that I, I'm going to share with you, and this is my opinion, okay? And this is my theory based on my years of experience. Investors, I don't care if it's an angel investor or a venture capitalist. If you're in the startup world, you've interact with them some way, somehow, or you're studying or thinking about how you're going to interact with them to be successful. Well, that's become the go-to and the only strategy for your success. Kadima was built organically, from the ground up with no outside investors, no loans, and not a single dollar put in from either of the three founders and to go from zero to $14 million in one year because we're helping others and rewarded and taking risk, that's a blessing and that means ego hasn't consumed us. But venture capitalists and angels forced you into a box. You have to do it this way. You have to get up there in that five to eight minutes and you've got to give that elevator pitch and think there's going to be a call to action for that investor to step up step up, and want to go meet you. Where just like at the Funding Post event, the guy that won, well, he did a magic trick. He burned some fire on the stage. He just had a self-confidence about himself. That's why he won. He didn't win because his idea was better than everybody else's. He won because he entertained the investors and their, their instincts said some reason 
I want to work with that guy. And and so confidence plays a big role into it. Uh, not and, and keeping your ego in check is extremely crucial. As a Marine, we are bred to be egotistical pricks. Period. <laughs> I'm serious. We're known as a very elite, the, one, the toughest military force. We have more pride than any other other branch. We have more dedication and more brotherhood. I could hate you, Raj, but if you were a Marine, I'm going to love you for the rest of your life. And if you call me, I'm going to come as your brother. And I instill that same culture into the companies, not the military approach to it. But, but what I'm getting at is getting back to the investors and VCs. They've put entrepreneurism in a box where you do it this way. It has to be done this way. And guess what, people? That's not what entrepreneurism is. Entrepreneurism is the creative flow, to be able to create the ability to do things that nobody else is doing, to improve on things, to, to drive different angles of how revenue is generated, different markets. And, and, you know, we get into the big corporations. The big corporations make that very difficult. Um, if you look at when I told you Sprint and the other ones are trying to buy us out, well, that was at the, the crash of the, the housing market. But what wasn't crashing corporations like Google, Microsoft, IBM, all of them were doing what? They were acquiring as many small companies as they could. That keeps them in power. And a Google executive once told me, uh, and I love the guy, he's, a, he's an advisor in one of our companies, such a fascinating gentleman, his story is fascinating, said, one thing I always remember when I met the founders of Google, is we instill it in our employees that any given day we could be irrelevant. Yeah. So and that's, whatever you're yeah. both doing right now, you could be irrelevant tomorrow because somebody else with more money, more power does it better than you. Well, did you fail? No, you didn't fail. You pioneered it. You started it. Be proud and move on to the next thing. So I'll actually, I'll bring that back to, to the, to the um, kind of earlier I said I have a different take or almost like a bone to pick. And that is, so I was listening, this was probably a year or so ago, to an episode of I think it was the, the Entrepreneur on Fire podcast, and uh, John Lee Dumas, the host, asks the the woman on the show uh, as his guest, uh, "What's your biggest failure?" And her response was, "She said, you know, I have a tough time with that question because I fundamentally don't believe in failure because every failure is a learning opportunity, et cetera, et cetera." And mm-hmm. I. <laughs> I am like adamantly opposed to that mindset for the reason that, yes, every failure is a learning opportunity and you will grow from every failure and that's fine. However, and this is my own mindset about it, I know I will not successfully learn from a mistake if I don't tell myself, hey, that thing that happened was a failure. If I look at it and I was like, oh, it was just a learning opportunity, I don't think I'm actually going to put that learning into action. And, and, a lot of how I run my business now and a lot of the advice I give to startups now when I work with them is because I can say to myself, you know, when I was running my first company, I didn't do this thing we've, and it failed in this way and I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to let other people do that again. But for me, only if I brain, almost like brainwash myself and say and, and label it a failure, can I, can I put it in that mental file cabinet of failures to say, okay, I can draw from the learning and do something different next time because I know it did not work because I know it failed when I tried it this way the first time. Yeah, well, you know, it's so interesting because you could fail because it could be just lack of fail, uh, lack of funding. You could fail because you just weren't mature enough 
um, as a leader, but you just got experience that helps you become the leader you want to be. And, and I'm sorry, there is failure out there. Um, and, and sometimes I see entrepreneurs that are repeat offenders where they make the same mistakes or I'll meet entrepreneurs. And, and honestly, a prerequisite to even work with us, typically we're targeting you as a startup because we're, we're putting first money in. We're really getting involved. But when we, when we engage with that startup, if immediately when we bring their team together and we put people around them, if it's all about them, 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 and they're creating this facade that they're so perfect, you know what we want to know? We want them to share the failures. That tells us where they're missing pieces. Maybe a lot of times it's just their ability to tell their story. So where would Kadima step in? Hey, Raj, man, I got this company. They're under something hot. Their ego sucks a little bit. <laughs> but man, they just telling their story. That's what we're about. Connecting the dots, not knocking people down when they when they when the failures are their burdens. Um, me, no. I uh, people know I'm going to succeed one way or another. And every one of my employees, I, I I wear that on my collar. They know I'll work just as hard as they will every single day, if not harder. When they feel there's an obstacle in the way, I, I reinforce. Hey, man, just remember, it's just an illusion. What's another way around it? I like to preach the power of threes. If you're going to go and your sales channel is, we need to get to Microsoft because we know Microsoft's in virtual reality. We have to get there. Well, the first thing I go back to them, well, what's your approach? And a lot of times it's really shallow-minded. All right, well, I'll just go on LinkedIn and I'll look somebody up and I'll call them. Well, no, your approach should be a three-prong approach. Find somebody in your network that has access there. Find that LinkedIn approach you were going to do and then start making a call and get three different people. If you if you start to value the power of threes in your failure, look at a failure point and say, did I look at three different ways that I could have addressed that failure? More times than not, you're going to solve your own problem, and that's more experience. And, and I've proven it time and time again, that power of threes. Don't go for one investor. You need to be going for three investors. You don't need to be going for five investors right now. You need to focus on the three that make the most sense to you as an entrepreneur. But also, entrepreneurs have got lazy. Entrepreneurs are waiting for the investment instead of building your damn company and your product. <laughs> you know what? Get up and go find a corporation Battle your way in there and say, hey, here's what I'm creating. Is there any chance I can meet with your R&B team or maybe they can assist me because I am an entrepreneur? Find a way to be successful. Don't follow the traditional path if the traditional path isn't working for you. You know, I, I, I see entrepreneurs, I kid you not, that we looked at three years ago that we helped for free that are in the same freaking state we left them three years ago. And what we would do is we'd leave them a roadmap behind and say, hey, here's some things you should do. And then I'll ask them, so now you're coming back to us. I said, did you do and engage any of the things we made suggestions on doing? And you know what? More times than not, no, they didn't. They were doing <laughs> the same crap they were doing, and most of them are sitting around waiting for investors. The, I mean, it's played out today, but at this point, but the definition of insanity is yeah. doing the same thing over and over <laughs> again and expecting different results. Yeah. I mean, think about it. I had, I really had three chances to sell my company, and then a fourth we actually did. And the other three would have been amazing, right? I would have been blessed. And I wouldn't have gotten involved with a scumbag that, you know, really screwed my life over. But I did the same thing multiple times. I didn't go and get the outside help that I should have got. Now, part of it was money. Part of it was I needed to sell to survive. Uh, I can make all the excuses in the world, but that doesn't mean I failed because I didn't properly manage that. It just means my focus might have been somewhere else, where it should have been over here. That doesn't mean I failed. It just means I didn't, I wasn't agile enough. I didn't shift left and right where I needed to go at that given time in my entrepreneurial journey. 
Can you go just real quick here over the next couple minutes, um, and then we'll we'll transition over uh, and begin to close out the show. I, I've not I'm not I've not heard before the power of threes, and I really like that, and I think it's really valuable both for us and the listeners of this show as well. So can we maybe just do a really quick like workshop of an example of an event that could happen and how to power of three yourself? Yeah, I'll take our, you okay if I kind of talk about our event that we're having for entrepreneurs in January? I'll yeah, give you a good go, example. Yeah, go for that. Okay. So let's take the power of threes. We know that early stage investing is failing on a grand scale in the traditional fashion. But in the ICO, initial coin offering world, there was, I think it was $7.6 billion in the past two years was raised on white papers. I'll repeat that. $7.6 billion has been raised through initial coin offerings for technologists to build advanced technologies on a token, a digital token, and those engineers and these people creating it, that $7.6 billion don't even have to give equity, okay? It's crowdfunded. And this year alone, $6.2 billion was raised. Of that 7.6, 6.2 was raised this year alone. In July, there was $500 million raised. Well, if we know we have an early stage funding issue, right? Well, there's something that started. There's a momentum that started to kind of fix that issue. So we're seeing more technology advancing. We're seeing things pop out of everywhere. But let's take the power of threes at our event. When we created this concept and we locked ourselves away for a couple of years and we started exploring corporations and, and investors and entrepreneurs and helping entrepreneurs, we realized that there was really three parties that needed to come together. Okay, And, and taking the power of three mentality that you asked me to share an example of, we said, well, you need investors. But then when we'd go to pitch events, we noticed the quality of the startups really kind of were horrible for the most part. And the investors really knew that and they didn't want to get involved. So you've got investors, you've got startups. But what's missing? If only, you know, we have less than 1% of companies really succeed and have it exit, okay? Well, who's doing the exit? I mentioned it in my story earlier, sprints. Google's, that's the exits. So the power of three, we brought investors, startups, and corporate sponsors together. And what we're gonna be doing is now you're gonna validate things. And let me give you the power of three where we expand on it more. We're gonna force the investors, we're gonna teach them about ICOs in a fun fashion. We're gonna entertain them because they're sick of the same format. And we're gonna say, hey, by the way, this morning's just for you, but we've vetted out these amazing startups and partners and these corporations that care about entrepreneurism, and they're, they're right behind you, right behind this stage, and we're going to open that doors up. And by the way, we want you to get out there. We've just, we've just issued each one of you investors some digital tokens, and we want you, because we're sick of people not engaging, we want you to get out there in the audience. We want you to go and take some of those tokens we gave you, pretend they're digital currency. We want you to give them to the companies that you think present themselves the most, have the most innovative idea. And then we're going to aggregate that data. We're going to say, well, well, hey, Raj, you're an investor and I'm an investor and, and 50 other investors committed to, to startup A. Well, holy cow, what's that going to do if you show that data in real time to other investors? Well, there's the power of the one, the investors. Other investors see now, instead of guessing, they see others are interested in that project. It's going to bring more awareness, drive more money to the project. Well, if you have corporate sponsors in the same room, right? You have corporate sponsors in that same room. 
Well, the corporate sponsors are going to say, holy cow, all the investors are really interested in Raj's idea. We might want to look at that. Well, there's another investment opportunity. There's two. I've got investors. We've got corporates. And then you get the startups. The startups are creating revenue for our economy. They're creating the next generation jobs. It gets back to the heritage of what this country was even founded on. It was founded on small business. It was founded on entrepreneurism. It drove our revenue for so long and so many years where we've switched to an oligarchic state. But there's an example of the power of the three. Psychologically, we've got into all three of those those three different groups. Okay, we've got in all their heads. And then you've got the people like you, Raj. You've got the people that are the support system, the ones that I didn't go to to help me sell my company that are going to be blended in there. So we've got that fourth mix. And those same people, okay, you know, that are the solopreneurs or these amazing talents that can help entrepreneurs, they typically can't help them because the entrepreneur can't afford them. Well, what if there was a system and a process and a corporation that's ready to you know, to get involved, well, that, that, that brings money in. If there was a trust system, that money is now being distributed in a trust system like blockchain. And, and now there's trust between the investor, the startup, and the corporation. And now we're making an impact in that 1% of, of actual exit in this world. I don't know if that clearly explains it, but that's the power of three. You could take it from another perspective. I'm going to go build a product. I'm going to build the next generation product. Well, entrepreneurs tend to look at it. This is the way I'm going to do it. My ego's out again. Nope, you're not going to tell me different. My experience at 24 years old is way better than yours, sir, at 40. I'm way better than you. I know what I'm doing. And that's okay. You have to have that drive. That's your vision. But there's not a single project. We don't look at it from three different perspectives. We look at what are the three sales channels. Immediately, my team, if we look at Raj, hey, Raj, we're bringing you in. We want to help your podcast grow. We think it's amazing. You're giving back to the community. You're aligned with our mission. Sales channel one, what corporations will impact by us introducing you to them? What investors might be interested? What, uh, how do we sell it? What's that sales channel? Let's still, if you, if you could find three different ways to solve a problem, only one might work. But the point is, you didn't get shallow. Your, your, your mindset wasn't so shallow that you only found one way to accomplish something. Um, so it, it resonates um, in many different ways. We have an entrepreneurial program where, where, for us, we do a lot of research and development. And if I don't breed leaders of tomorrow, uh, I, I don't want <laughs> to sound cliche here, but you take baby boomers, right? Baby boomers that controlled the majority of the money in this world, especially from an investing perspective, they really have no respect for the millennial generation for the most part. So why are they going to invest their money in them? And then take it another step here. Take it one more step. Who is building that millennial generation and my kid to be the leaders of tomorrow? Nobody. Nobody. So you take the power of threes and we, we look at all those things. And, and I, I brought that up because I have somebody that's in my entrepreneurial program, actually the same person that said, what is this guy rapping up here? Okay. And I took him and I said, Hey, look, you, you had a business. It really wasn't successful. I showed him where it wasn't successful, but ultimately he made the decision to walk away. And I said, if you want to be in our entrepreneurial program, we need to be leaders of tomorrow. You're going to go through being a project manager. You're going to be an analyst. You're going to go with me to VC meetings so you can get the experience before you're running a company. You're going to go with me on board meetings. You're going to go with me and just be a fly on the wall and listen and learn. Do you know the amount of experience he got? I sat and I took him to meet a venture capitalist, his first one up in Utah. Amazing man up there. Such a blessing. And this guy was really curious at what, what we were doing. And I made that entrepreneur 
in residence, whatever you want to call it, we haven't really named it, set the meeting. So now he's interacting with a VC. And we get up there and the VC said, man, I was really mad, Tim, that it wasn't you coming. I'm glad to see you here because I don't know this other guy. And the VC looks at me and says, well, why is this guy here? I said, because, you know, one of us and somebody has to create a system to get them engaged with people like you as early as possible before they're building their company so they can not make the mistakes that I did when I was a venture capitalist. And then I explained to them that we put them through every process and we literally try to give them access and, and visibility um, into what the entrepreneurial world is. We send them to pitch events like funding posts where we'll go and fund. I, would, I have literally funded events like funding posts and other ones just to bring my team to learn and engage with the lingo and the talk and what's happening. But the point being, that VC looked at me and said, that is one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard for building leaders of tomorrow. And and I bring that up because that entrepreneur, okay, now looks at everything from three different perspectives. He doesn't look at the obstacle of, man, Intel is just not responding to me. He goes and finds a different way around. And then he finds two more ways. If you always mentally prepare yourself to look at other ways to do it, and you, you just you don't have to just focus on three. The point of the power of three from my perspective and my theories are, I'm always thinking of other ways to do something. And it gets back to down to that's what entrepreneurism is. Let's take uh, about 30 or 60 seconds here. Um, we're running a little bit short on time, but I want to make sure. And, and you've talked about it uh, a little bit as you've told your, these various stories. But in just like a quick overview, can you give our listeners, you know, at surface level, you know, Kadima Ventures is this sort of network of resources to help entrepreneurs grow. Um, but just briefly, can you let our listeners know why it's more than that? Yeah, Kadima is a lot more. Kadima is a collaborative ecosystem of, of a, a trusted ecosystem of, of those third parties and those consultants and those uh, dedicated resources to driving innovation, the next generation of entrepreneurs. And uh, we've gathered them all up. Uh, Kadima as a whole is dedicated to give 5 to 25% of our revenue back to entrepreneurism. That's why we host big events. We, we, we sponsor big nonprofit events and we give the advertising away to big corporations so it gets more exposure to the entrepreneurs. Um, look at Kadima as a very hybrid incubator accelerator, though, for what we're building. We're not really an accelerator. We're not an incubator. We are action. We get things done. We go to work. We don't educate on it, though we do in the process. But, you know, when we take somebody in on our program, it's a, a very collaborative effort. Our team ends up working for them on our dime. We put the early money in and, and then we put our process that we've worked, all the stories you just heard, we built a process out of those stories to help mitigate those those challenges and risks I had for years. And, you know, it's so amazing when you could take this brilliant mind that has two people working for him and one guy's, you know, working, working nights because he has a full-time job to support his family and the other one's, you know, working, you know, as an Uber driver, maybe trying to build his job. And then all of a sudden you can go and you can put 20, 30, 40 people to work for that company because the idea is so great and trust in them and give them hope. And, and, then, and then host big events that you bring investors together and you force investors to interact with them instead of just getting people on a pitch stage for five to eight minutes. Um, so, so Kadima is very much an entrepreneurial ecosystem. We're, we're really dedicated to research and development and driving next generation technologies. So let, to wrap up our conversation then, we will do our uh, once around answering today's question given um what we've talked about in this conversation so we'll start with victoria we'll go to me and then tim will close with you victoria our question today was how do you prepare for failure ah 
Well, <laughs> I think after listening to uh, Tim's wild stories, um, I think I, I agree that failure is sort of inevitable in, um, in, in a lot of situations in life. We're always going to hit stumbling blocks, whether they're massive failures or just little hiccups. Um, and so I think it's keeping an open mind as to what that failure actually means. So in some instances, Tim was saying, you know, maybe it's just that you weren't you know, a mature enough leader, or maybe you didn't have, you know, the right resources, or maybe you did make a really poor decision, but sort of being open to the fact that it could be a number of things. Um, and just knowing that, that it's going to happen at some point and not letting it totally ruin you. <laughs> My answer for how do you prepare for failure, I think it's a combination of basically creating many failures that prep you to men- like to mentally undertake when a big failure happens. Um, so doing having low stake taking risks in low stake scenarios so that you can uh, when you make a high stake risk that does not pan out, you can withstand that and still move forward. And I think combined with that, you, as I said before, in my mind, you have to label it, at least for me anyway, I have to label it a failure in order to learn from it and take action on it in the future. And the last thing I'll say that I think is crucial to all of this, which I know has helped me a little bit you know, each day, each year that I grow, is make decisions by removing your ego from the decision-making process. Tim, how do you prepare for failure? Well, I think number one, be agile, right? Power three is acknowledge the failure. Don't let the uh, don't let the failure be your crutch, right? You know, take that and do everything you can, the physical therapy to learn from that failure, and you know, take the physical therapy aspect. If I sit around because I had an injury, um, because I I crashed my peg, well, is that a failure? No, I'm going to rehabilitate myself and use it as a learning lesson. Why did I have that accident? Why did I fail? And and Agile. Agile is very important. I think if you're agile and you, you always are looking at three different ways to accomplish something, can you really fail? It's a good point. And I like the dirt bike analogy as well. Tim Wales, thank you for joining us on the show today. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Fun times. That wrapped up our conversation with Tim Wales. Tim, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your journey, your experience, your story with our audience. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show. Therefore, more people get to discover their inner awesomes. While you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform it is you listen, whether that is iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the various other podcasting platforms and networks in which you can find the show. For full show notes, references, and resources, grab it all at www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. That'll do it for this one. Thank you again to Tim Wales for joining us. For Victoria Cohen, I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today.